0: Hello, and welcome to So You Think You Can Rule Persia, the podcast where we rate and review all the kings of Persia, from Diokis to Yastegard III. I'm Serial, and my pronouns are they, them.
1: And I'm Umberto, my pronouns are he, him. Hello, and welcome to episode 33, where at last we leave the solutions behind and we start a new chapter, a more Iranian chapter than the previous one. And our first ruler is Vadfredad I. Maybe. What do you mean, maybe? I guess,
0: all right, so... It's unclear. (laughs) I'm sad to say goodbye to the Seleucids just because, you know, it's an end of an era, quite literally. But, so, is it problematic to choose, like, who we're taking as the main leader in, you know, the eastern part of what was the Seleucid Empire? Yeah. Because we did comment that, like, all of the regions had their own king
1: and yeah, they were exactly. basically independent because nobody was paying attention to them anyway yeah and now they've become fully independent and yeah what i've gone with is since the podcast name is so you think you can rule persia i've gone with the person ruling the specific region of persia okay. so vod maybe <laughs> is ruling the kingdom of persis as it's called to differentiate it from big persia which is just you know the area that contains persepolis and that sort of stuff okay so that is my executive decision. Fun. Great. So, vad maybe. vat maybe. Why do I say maybe? Well, we're going to get into it because there's a whole argument on who is ruling Persis at this moment because ah. someone is. I've decided that my favorite theory is that it's vod fradad the First. Okay, great. There are other theories I will explain to you. <laughs> so, yes, there we go. Well, I'm interested. There are a lot of papers arguing about this. It's very niche, but (laughs) if any historian that's working on this in this tiny niche is listening, I hope I chose your favorite theory. If not, I'm sorry. It didn't convince me.
0: If not, uh, we're not experts. So like, whatever, Yes. (laughs) you know, uh, (laughs) write write to us why we're wrong. We would love to learn. We would love to know your opinion. Write to us why maybe we're not wrong, but like, you know, there's this other point of view. If you write to us in, like, a review of the podcast, that's even better. But you can just reach us on Twitter or send us an email.
1: Yes. If you've written a paper about this, I've probably read it because there's, like, just three of them. So, you know, good for you. Shout out
0: to those people who (laughs) wrote those three papers.
1: Okay, so, Serial, let's get to a recap of Alexander Balas and see what happened last time. And then we can jump into this new... Weird world where the Seleucids are far, far away in Syria, slowly, in a death spiral. So, what happened last time is that Alexander Balas, we decided, was just a random kid off the street who was picked up and made the Seleucid king, hooray, hooray, with massive Ptolemaic support. At this point, Alexander then took away all the armies from the east, just leaving it basically undefended so yeah the east collapsed because the parthian king mithridates the first invaded from the north took media took mesopotamia and now all the rest of iran just broke off became independent i don't know if i would call
0: it so much collapsing as just avoiding the awful hellfire that was going to be the occidental part of the empire and just being like we're gonna jump ship now goodbye everybody
1: yeah, Seleucid authority collapses, let's say.
0: Because it's not like anybody was paying attention to that whole area.
1: No. So, you know. It's been a while. It's Everything's terrible. And so Alexander Balas then eventually lost the kingdom in a civil war with Demetrius II, who became the new king of the Seleucid Empire, which now just contains Syria and Palestine. Everything else is gone. And we're now in this new world, so we'll be covering the kings of Persis. Hey. Or rather, they're called Fratarakas of Persis. Oh,
0: okay, I don't, I don't know that term.
1: It is very specific to this one thing. <laughs> you wouldn't hear it anywhere else. Okay, so let me tell you what's been going on in Persia proper all this time, because I've been telling you that it's been semi-independent for a while, it's sort of been doing its own thing, but eh, it's unclear, who knows. So let's get into it a bit more. We know that at some point, the when is object of debate, the region of Persia, Persia proper, became governed by a series of individuals called Fratarakas. But it's kind of difficult to reconstruct what was going on here, which is why Vatfradad maybe, because most of the rulers of the region are primarily known through coins with their faces on them, And these coins don't have dates attached to them. And we can only roughly reconstruct a succession of kings based on which coins we can find together. So we know that, okay, there's a certain amount of coins and you have these three kings. Another burial, which was later on, has four kings. So we can assume that the fourth one came after the first three.
0: And a lot of detective work. Yeah, so it's a lot of like, piece together this puzzle,
1: have fun. Here's some coins. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is that there's very few coins, so it's also very difficult to draw certain conclusions. So archaeologists and historians have their work cut out for them. So we have three different options for when did these fratarakas come about and what is it? So I'll tell you these options and you can decide which your favorite is. And at the end, I'll tell you what my favorite is, and which is the one I'll be using for the purposes of the podcast. So option one is an older option, and it says that Persia became semi-independent directly under Seleucus I or Antiochus I. Just at the start of the empire, Persia became its own thing again. So it became independent under these fratarakas that we know, this list of rulers. But then when Antiochus III came to the east, he put the region under stricter control and then it just broke away under a new line of rulers after Alexander Balas messed everything up. So this is the first theory, it is the older one, and it's supported by the fact that a lot of the early coins are stamped over old coins of Alexander the Great, Seleucus I and Antiochus I. So essentially, they're old coins of these kings, and they've just stamped over them with these new rulers. And so the argument goes that, well, it's weird that they're not stamping over coins of later kings, so they must have left the empire at around that period. So that's a pro in this column. And a con for it is that, well, the empire under Seleucus I and Antiochus I was still strong, stable, and unified. It's kind of weird that Persia would sort of break off so early. So that's option one. Then option two is instead the later option, because it says that Persia was controlled as a province for a rather long time, and then it started to become independent under these Fratarakas after Antiochus III was defeated and the east started to crumble away, become semi-independent all at once. So this theory has the advantage that, well, the empire is declining later on, as opposed to earlier, and it makes sense that this bit of the empire would break off at this point. But then it's also difficult to explain why instead are these kings stamping over old coins of Alexander the Great and Seleucus I. Did they just store all these coins and then eventually replace them later on?
0: Why are they showing up what now? What happened there? Are they just trying to, like... Yeah, I exactly. mean, either that... I guess if they're old, then yeah. But if they're newer, which I don't know how well you, we can date these, then maybe they're trying to revive, you know, the golden eras of the Empire. Although I would argue
1: that is not the most golden era... I mean, Alexander the Great. Yeah, especially for Uh, (laughs) Persia. Persia wouldn't be super happy. So, I mean, what they're doing is they're basically taking Alexander the Great coins and then replacing the face, essentially. That's sort of what they're doing. And so this theory explains that they're using these older coins because we don't have enough statistics to actually make significant statements. And they're saying that, yeah, most coins were minted under Alexander the Great and Seleucus the first, because that's when they had all the silver. So that's when most coins would be around. Maybe there's some coins from later Seleucids, but things weren't going so well at that point, so there weren't as many coins. Also a second argument that they put forth is that actually later Seleucid mints were mostly centered around Syria, and so the coins didn't reach to the far eastern areas of the empire. So that's option two. And finally, option three is sort of a compromise where the author of this paper says that there were local Persian rulers almost since the start, so maybe Antiochus I or something, but they were mostly some sort of priests, they didn't have much political authority, and then eventually, when the Seleucid Empire became more fragile, these priestly rulers gained more and more political power and became the Fratarakas that we see. The advantage of this theory is that it combines the strengths of the other two theories, but the problem is that the author has to add in a couple of kings that aren't attested to make the timeline work out. And also, all the kings would have unusually long reigns, so it's a little bit messy with the evidence you're using. I see. So, what's your favorite serial?
0: Can you repeat the options?
1: Yeah, so option one is. Persia broke away early on, then was reabsorbed under Antiochus III, and then broke away again under Alexander Balas. Right. Option two is it was pretty stably in the empire, then when Antiochus III lost against the Romans, it started breaking away again, and this is the dynasty. Option three is there was actually only one very large dynasty with a slow progression towards independence but it adds in a few extra kings that we don't know about that who knows if they exist.
0: I'm so confused. Like, didn't we tackle this with, you know, Antiochus third, and, you know...
1: Well, Antiochus third passed through early in his reign to put order in yeah. Persia, and theory one says that when Antiochus came to Persia, then he just extinguished their independence, and they okay. remained stably in the empire until the end. Option two is instead saying that... When Antiochus passed through, he was just seeing the starts of independence, and then he just slowed it down. And then when he died, the independence movement started up again. Option three is saying, middle of the road. <laughs> it was sort of there, Antiochus maybe slowed it, but eh.
0: Uh, okay, um, so it's about like how much independence these provinces
1: had. Really. Yeah, how much independence they had and how early.
0: I don't know if it's very relevant. I feel like with all of the Macedonian kings, there's always been a focus on the occidental part of the empire anyway. Mm-hmm. But the independence hasn't been enough for a full-on revolt, I guess. Or a, right a, the will to formally... Break away from that empire, right? To mm-hmm. declare a king or a series of kings at the same level as whoever was the head of the empire at the time, or to declare war to fully be. Because I guess the independence is also just like, okay, the ability to make laws that apply to your region and not other regions. Right.
1: And also who you're paying taxes to, right? Like, those would be... Yeah, basically, who you're paying taxes to, who you're defending your borders from, yeah. that sort of thing. I don't know, is there a correct answer? Because I'm like, I feel like... There is no correct answer. I mean, all of them are different theories that different historians support. I feel
0: like this, they were somewhat attached to the Empire, but yeah, like I said, it, at least it wasn't a clear revolt enough to cause a war, but they were just like, well, as long as they're letting us do what we do... I guess we can just stay around here and
1: yeah, yeah. I mean, my favorite theory is option two, which is the late independence version, because I think it would be weird if they became independent immediately after Alexander passed.
0: Oh, I also yeah, I also don't like that first option. Like, I felt like the the double independence was a bit strange. I would be more for like a gradual losing touched with the rest of the empire yeah exactly you know and how gradual that was is more of a the question but
1: yeah that's two or three is how gradual it is i feel like i agree with the scholars in option two that we don't have enough statistics of coins to actually be able to say oh no they're over striking coins of alexander the great because they were right after alexander the great as opposed to that was just the majority of the coins If I were a real historian, I'd like to make a a statistical study of coins to figure out how that works, but I'm not, so if anybody needs the math, call me. But yeah, I don't like that the third theory just adds random kings in, that we have no evidence for just to make the timeline work. Like, you can do that, I guess, but I don't like it, so that's my argument. see, so it might be
0: a bit of a stretch based on some facts, but perhaps wanting the facts to make a pretty timeline more than seeing the facts and then finding a theory that properly explains them. Like,
1: trying to make the facts fit something that is pretty. Yeah, it looks at the timeline, sees that it doesn't fit. So it's like, okay, I'll add a couple kings here. Okay, now it fits. I see. Not crazy about the approach, but eh. So yeah, so just for our purposes, I'll be using option two, the late independence model, because it's my favorite. I'll put the sources in the show notes. If you're interested, make up your own minds. Okay, so who are these Fratarakas and what are they doing? What's their deal? Well, it looks like they were rulers of Persia with varying degrees of independence from the Seleucids. And they had very important religious roles, which can be seen in the iconography on their coins. Because they tend to usually represent themselves next to Mazdian fire temples. Mm -hmm. And you can see them worshipping at the temple. I see. So they have this religious role. And it also matches a role that was there in the Achaemenid Empire, which was just below Satrap. And also the historical sources mention that there is a temple authority when Antiochus III passed through. So that matches what it is. And it's interesting enough to see how the Frataraka connect themselves to the old Achaemenid Empire, because, because they adopt many of the symbols of Achaemenid kingship, but they depict themselves with the crowns of satraps and not the crown of king of kings. So it looks like they're not really claiming the old empire. They're not saying, oh, one day we'll get it back one day. But it looks like they're having as their ancient source of legitimacy the Achaemenid Empire in the region. So it's sort of like how, you know, Italy doesn't claim to be the heir to the Roman Empire, but there's a lot of Roman iconography because, well... That's where we're from you get the vibes from the ruins you see all around you and the memories of the history that passed through there but yeah so we have that now when alexander balas breaks off the east and loses everything we have a larger trend of different independences so let's look at the neighbors of persia to their west they have a kingdom called elemais which used to be the old kingdom of Elam, which contains the Achaemenid capital of Susa. So they've become independent, and they became powerful enough to raid Seleucid Babylonia for the few years they had it left. And at the same time, the Seleucid satrap of Karakene, which is essentially the end of Mesopotamia, the bit where it connects to the Persian Gulf and the mouths of the Tigris and the Euphrates join up, That satrap asserted his own independence in 141 and took all the important trade advantages that come with basically being the gate between Mesopotamia and India for sea trade. So we have this whole series of different areas becoming independent. And up in the north, in Media, we have the Parthian Empire under Mithridates I, which is expanding and trying to eat up as they can across the world. So, okay, where does our friend Wadfradad come into? And the I is here because of the low chronology, otherwise it's a different king with a different name. All right, well... Yeah. So he comes to the scene in a time of a lot of conflict for Iran in general and Persia itself directly. Because if we look at the coins that are around, it seems that he came to the throne around 146, when Alexander Balas was fighting with Demetrius II. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there was a rival king called Baidad, who was in charge of Persia before. We're told that basically Vatfradad comes to power at the same time as this Baidad, who was in charge of other bits of Persia. And it looks like there is some sort of conflict between the two, with one getting the upper hand versus the other, There's a lot of back and forth. We mostly see this, again, through coins, because we have a couple of examples which show us the back and forth. So one of them is a coin of vaad where his name was scratched out and replaced with Baidad, which apparently happened with multiple coins. And another one is instead a coin of Baidad, which seems to have been struck over with a stamp of vaad replacing his face. So it looks like these two were having a struggle for power in Persia overall. And it's possible that these two kings may have also been tied to the different factions fighting for the Seleucid throne. So perhaps it looks like Vadfardad might have been more closely tied to Demetrius II, and Baidad may have been more closely tied to Alexander Balas. And so when Alexander is deposed and eventually killed, Vadfardad won this conflict with his fellow co ruler and became the sole ruler of Persia. So, hooray! Vodfrodad is now sole ruler of his own little kingdom. Although he doesn't call himself king yet. That'll come eventually. So at this point, we have that Mithridates I descends into Mesopotamia, takes Babylon and Seleucia on the Tigris, and separates the Seleucid Empire from Persia. And we can also see this in the iconography that Vodfrodad has in his coins, because even though he is still wearing the crown of satrap, He shows the Farvahar over the usual fire altar, which is essentially iconography showing this entity bestowing upon him the divine right to rule, something that his predecessors didn't do. So even though he's still not calling himself king of kings or anything, he is showing that he is blessed, at least in his uh, role as ruler. I see. Also, he has a bow in his coins like the old Dariqs from back in the day. Oh,
0: yeah. So that's nice. We finally
1: get back the bow symbolism. I like that. Yes, good. We're going to have a lot of bows. This is a good bow time. But it looks like Persia hasn't entirely abandoned all ties with the Seleucids. Because vat receives a letter from the West. Jessica comes over delivering a letter.
0: Jessica, all the way over here. Yes.
1: Jessica's being re-employed <laughs> to the east. She's slowly moving. She knows what's happening to the Seleucids.
0: I mean, she took all the messages back and forth, so she should know.
1: Yeah. So she goes to Vadfordat and says, Here's a letter for you. It's from Demetrius II, king of the Seleucid Empire. And what does Demetrius want? Well, Demetrius is writing a letter and says, Dear vat We can all see that the Parthians are becoming very strong and very scary, and they have Media, Mesopotamia, Parthia. They have more provinces than anyone else in Iran. So why don't you join the Seleucid Empire in pushing them back out of Mesopotamia so we can reestablish a balance of power? You can stay independent, that's cool. You can remain an independent ruler, but help me kick out the Parthians from Mesopotamia. What do you think? This is Demetrius, son of the second. Yeah, Demetrius.
0: Son of Demetrius. This is the kid who went with his little brother also away, while yes, Demetrius exactly. was fighting Alexander the there. First. Yes. Correct. And who will come back to try and recover the empire, yeah. with the help of Ptolemy.
1: Uh, Ptolemy's dead at this point. I know. I know. He's well, that was the original plan, but yeah. You know. Oh, at the time, yes, yes, yes. Okay, so what do you think? Do you think Vadfordad is going to help out Demetrius, or is he going to just stay on the sidelines and see what happens? how
0: much of a nuisance have the Parthians been to us here in the
1: east? The Parthians haven't touched Persia yet. They've mostly been raiding Media, now they own Media, and they've moved on into Mesopotamia. So they're kind of scary because they're the fastest expanding group in the east. Also, how is Demetrius'
0: side looking? Like... Is he already struggling and being like, oh my god, we will not be a thing in, like, five years?
1: Well, Demetrius has just come out of a damaging civil war with Alexander. Mm -hmm. So that's not great. He doesn't have support of the Ptolemies anymore. Palestine's a bit shaky. But it looks like he sent letters around to all these newly independent rulers of Iran to try and make a big coalition to fight Parthia. And at least, you know, establish a balance of power, which is also in the interest of these new states. Because if there's one hegemon in Iran, well, then you're not going to last long. But if there's two big people fighting each other over Iran, then you can just play them off each other and get the best deal you can.
0: So we're not helping, is what I'm hearing.
1: Actually, we are. Okay. (laughs) Okay. We've decided to throw our lot in with Demetrius and say, yes, Mithridates of Parthia is very scary. If we don't help the Seleucids, we're going to be next. Let's gather together.
0: Yeah, we better put up some kind of offensive earlier on with someone else, except instead of waiting for them to defeat Demetrius and then be even stronger and then come for us and then we will be like a whoopsie. That makes sense. In the worst case, they'll be distracted with Demetrius for a while. Also, I just need to look up some information on the Parthians. Because, like, they always come up in Roman history, in Persian <laughs> history. And they're always there. I know almost nothing about them. Other than they're in the Mesopotamia area. Yes.
1: Well, you're going to enjoy the next episode, oh, then. boy!
0: Okay, good. <laughs> Finally get to know
1: more about the Parthians. Yup. Lots more. So what happens? Well... Demetrius gathers his forces. He gathers a large army from the west of the Seleucid Empire. He is joined by vod and his forces, by the ruler of Elamis, by the ruler of Karakine. They all gather together into this one large coalition to fight the Parthians under Mithridates I. So they fight long and hard in Mesopotamia to try and get back Babylon, try and save it. But it was not enough. Mithridates absolutely blows everyone away and crushes the army. Now we are in trouble. Not only that, he captures Demetrius alive and gets him in his court.
0: Ah, fun. Okay, Ah, great. Damn. Well, that's why the Seleucids aren't a thing anymore.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So at this point, Vodhfradad runs away home to Persia, trying to build up defenses now that his army was crushed. In this fight with everybody in a coalition, and Mithridates is now peeved, you could say. And, yeah, so, Vodafradad stays at home, tries to build up his defenses, as he sees Mithridates slowly eating all the other Iranian states, as was predicted that would happen. So he takes over Elamais, Persia's western cousin, and then... Mithridates marches into Persia itself in 138, and he arrives at the capital, where it doesn't look like there was much of a battle, or if there was a battle, it wasn't impressive enough for anybody to mention. And there, Vatfradad is forced to accept the overlordship of Mithridates as his king, because Mithridates is now calling himself king of kings. Well, I mean, that is a big flex. He just got here. Might as well. But,
0: Eh. sure. We'll see if it lasts. At least he knows the, like, he knows his history. He knows the lore. Yeah, yeah, I was gonna say, (laughs) at least he he knows (laughs) what he's doing and what to, you know, what to call himself. He's very good with images, we'll see. I'm starting to like
1: this Mithridates person. Oh, yes. An interesting thing that he does that you wouldn't expect from the Seleucids, for example, is that he doesn't conquer Persia. He doesn't make it his province. He leaves semi-independent rulers in charge of Persia. He just asks that they bow to him. So once again, we have a king of kings ruling over a Persian kingdom, just like in the old Median days, where, you know, I am a king of kings. You can remain a ruler. I'm just essentially the leader of a very large coalition, and I'm the strongest member of it. Okay, but what happens to Vodhredad now? He resisted Mithridates directly. What's going to happen to him? Well, we don't have any textual details, but based on the coins that appear, it looks like Mithridates deposed him, probably because, you know, he had resisted. He hadn't accepted any requests of vassalization he hadn't just bowed down when he had the chance and mithridates just replaced him with a new king named vaad ii whose dynasty would continue to rule persia for the next 400 years when they will eventually be replaced by the sassanids which you may have heard from later roman history and they are very cool and i love them and we'll meet them eventually but for now with the parthians ruling over persia Parthia will be who will be following for the next four hundred-ish years, and our next episode will be Mithridates the First, as we see how he took all of Iran. Of course, but this is the end of Vardar. Oh no! But this is such a tried his best, but oh no!
0: I this is such a short (laughs) episode, and it just feels like you just show someone out of you know. Do we at least Eh. get the names of the rest of the kings that were in the region? Like, how many different, is it per, per province, per, like, how many
1: are we talking? So, the large kingdoms, we're still going to follow them a while. Okay. Despite what I may have told you, Parthia isn't supreme yet. They still have to fight with a lot of different regional rulers who are Yeah, I mean, like I said, he just got still here, there. so. Yeah. So, essentially, the main kingdoms we need to remember are Karkine, which is at the mouth of the Tigris and the Euphrates. They're ruled by an ambitious ex-satrap. Mm -hmm. Elimais, who is between them and Persia, is also now a subject of Mithridates, but they have their own kingdom. And Persia is essentially the easternmost of these newly independent kingdoms, which is now semi-independent under the Parthian umbrella. We don't know of any other kingdoms, short-lived kingdoms, further east. There may have been something, but it didn't last long enough to make an impact that we can remember them somehow. So, yeah, this is the new picture. Parthia is big. There are a few of these semi-independent kingdoms trying to do what they can. The Seleucid Empire is injured. Their king was captured. We'll see how Mithridates treats him next time. But things look on the up for Parthia. Let's see if they keep being that way or not.
0: It's interesting to me that you decided to go with this king from the eastern part of the Persian Empire, or you know, the what still can be called the Persian Empire. Vodfradad, instead of continuing with Demetrius.
1: Well, it's mostly just because Demetrius doesn't rule Persia at this point. Vodfradad does. And by Persia I mean like the specific yeah, region yeah, yeah. of Persia, not the whole massive empire. So with Alexander Balas, everything fell apart, he had no authority left. Demetrius accepted that Vodfrad would be independent okay. in case he won his battle. So, you know, in an alternate future, maybe Demetrius wins and Iran remains more evenly split with these new Mm. kingdoms having more independence for longer. But in this case, since Demetrius lost the battle, well, then Parthia gets to have a stronger role at this point. So, yeah, that is Vodfredad. Are you ready to rate him for what little we know? Yeah, I mean, sure.
0: (laughs) the one king from all of these little kingdoms yes we chose you sorry
1: you lost the battle our first category is final moments how interesting was his death fading away into history with no more knowledge of you Ah, uh, i'd say a zero because there's just absolutely nothing yeah, no, no detail whatsoever i guess yeah sorry yeah, it's just we ha- don't know yeah. Sorry, next time have written sources, not oral sources, which will be destroyed in the millennia to come. Next category is Battle Hardness. How good was he at wars and fighting? We have something to talk about here, at least. That's something. Because well, he got his throne militarily at the start. He fought with Baidod, whoever he was, relative or not. Mm-hmm. And they had a conflict lasted for a few years, and Valfredad ended up winning and becoming the sole ruler of Persia. So that's cool. That's nice. His next bit of fightiness is when he then works together with Demetrius to try and defeat the Parthians. Yeah. He tries, he fails. Yeah, not great. That, not ideal. So there's something there. Bit of a mixed record. So I think it might be worth like a point, like a token point, just because he he did win a civil war, that's good, and then he tried to fight back, he didn't just decide, oh, let them fight, I'll deal with whoever wins, which ultimately was worse for him because he lost his kingdom, but I think I'm gonna go with like two points for battle hardness. Like, he succeeded in a civil war. And he tried later on, which is more than you could say for Alexander. How about you, Zeril?
0: I mean, he went for it. But, like, Alexander also was, like, a bunch of battles, lost most of them. I don't see how this is better. Mm-hmm. I mean...
1: Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not great. Don't get me wrong. I not have <laughs> I'm not much, giving him a 10 or anything. So, I'm like,
0: I'm sure <laughs> yeah. he did fine for however long he reigned up to that point. Yeah.
1: I feel like there's something there. I'm happy with my two. You see what you're. I'll... You gave Alexander a one. Yeah. If you want to match that.
0: Yeah, I'll go for a
1: one. A one knowing that you're giving a two. Seems, you know. Okay, fair enough. So with a two and a one, we get a three out of 20 for battle hardness. Next category is scheminess. How good was he at plots and manipulation? Uh, we don't know. <laughs> He was a dude who. That's it. Like
0: yeah, eh. we don't know. Which it's not. It's not fair. Yeah,
1: like deserves better. But if we don't
0: have, if we don't have information, then
1: yeah, you give him maybe something for making the deal with Demetrius, but that just sounds like reasonable diplomacy yeah. and not anything too schemey.
0: No, a zero. So, yeah, I, we don't know. Maybe he was a really skimmy. Like maybe he was a really schemey fellow. We will never know.
1: He could have been, he yeah. He got there's to a... power through, like, a web of lies, but... Could be. I mean, civil war happened, so something must have been there, but eh. So yeah, with a 0 and a 0, you get a 0 out of 20 for scheminess. Next category is shock factor. How shocking was this man? Um... Was he? He had a civil war with a previous king, so he is a usurper. Right. According to that metric so that's one point i'd give him otherwise meh <laughs> don't know enough to to yeah. make a judgment about that
0: also not super <laughs> shocking being a usurper at this point
1: i mean yeah iran is on fire because nobody knows who's in charge anymore yeah. and they need to figure out something the new system looks like so that's gonna be a bit meh but i'm gonna give a one just for the usurpation just i'm not it's- a little zero. bit shocking. You're going to go for a zero? Okay. So with a one and a zero, we get a one out of 20 for shock factor. Next category is Aaron Shine. How good was he for the empire and Iran in particular? Or Persia in particular, because that's all he rules. Right. Okay, so first of all, he declares independence for Persia. That's nice. After being neglected for a century and a half by the Seleucids. yeah, you know, it's nice to have something that's yours and you could take care of in your own way sure so that's that's positive he tries to stop the parthians from taking over all of iran doesn't succeed at all but eh. and you know i i don't know how, how much you want to give this to him as opposed to mithridates but persia still maintains a level of independence even after mithridates passes by Mm-hmm. It still remains a semi-independent kingdom as opposed to fully absorbed province. So I don't know if you want to give that credit to vodfredad is that he did something, whatever he did.
0: Yeah, I mean, it wasn't he like... we weren't Surrendered when he could. How badly
1: were we doing? Just before?
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: so under the Seleucids, it was just neglected. Yeah. Under vod it was trying to figure out its identity and what to do and... How we, we weren't, like, falling in apart, right? So. No, not really. It was luckily the furthest part. Didn't really have many external borders I'd to call that a success. cause damage. Especially compared See, I'd to... I'd say you somewhat know, successful yeah. to be. I'd say... I'm gonna give it a full two points. Damn. Because this new dynasty, this new semi-independent Persia, is gonna last for 400 years. Yeah. I feel like some credit is due. Fair, If vat fair. had resisted to the last then probably Persia would have been absorbed. But whatever he did, it was good enough that Persia remained its own separate thing. Yeah. So I'm going for two points. Same. Yeah, I'm I'm mashing you. Yeah. Nice. Good job, vod You're a lot better than Alexander Balas and Antiochus. I mean,
0: you're a lot better. I mean, the the bar was like underground at this point. You're a lot better than the people (laughs) who did not pay in attention to this part of the empire ever. It could have been worse, don't get me wrong, because it could be
1: not only not paying attention, but just making it worse. Yeah, you tried. You did your best. So with a 2 and a 2, we get a 4 out of 20 for Aaron Shine. Next category is Face of Faces. What do you think this man looked like? And Serial, great news, we get facial hair back.
0: Oh my god, It's been a long, long,
1: clean-faced time, but finally we get beards and mustaches again.
0: A bit of variety, yes, because, I listen, I do not have anything against clean-shaven people. I actually prefer that for myself, for example, but, like, just, we've had the same, not only the same, like, hairstyle and the same facial hair, which is none, <laughs> but also, like, same features for
1: the past ten episodes, can we please? Yeah, yeah. We're getting a lot of fun new features, so... This new period of history has cool features, new iconography. It's going to be great. So, yes, I'm looking forward to seeing what your Vodfordad looks like. Okay, so Serial has finished their drawing. Let me pick it up, and I will describe this portrait to you. Ooh, I like the vibe here. That's very strong. (laughs) So, what we have here are two figures shown from behind. To the left, we have... Demetrius II with his diadem, curly hair, and fancy sword. To the right, Vahdhredad with a fun hat yep. that he is wearing, a sword, good robes shown from behind. And they're all trembling before the terrifying dark shadows of the Parthians coming on the horizon, wearing their traditional phrygian caps that looks like smurf hats yeah i listen because i did not come design on they them do.
0: that's just what they look <laughs> like
1: so that's very good it's getting ready to show us the terrible tide that is coming to submerge us all and hey vodford and demetrius you tried mm-hmm. better than we can say for other people that we've seen recently so thank you cereal and listeners, if you want to check this out, go to our website in Serial's portrait gallery or on the notes of this episode. And now, Serial, let me show you what he looks like. Yay. Maybe. If he's actually him. Who knows?
0: Yeah, nobody's following this podcast for accuracy. Well, I guess a little bit of nah. accuracy. <laughs> Some accuracy. Not in the
1: ranking. Nah. So to the left is his face, and to the right you can see him in a tiny shape in front of oh. the temple. Oh, that's so cool, actually. I love
0: the hat. It's so much better than what I drew. It's a weird hat to describe, but it's a good hat. Okay, so on one... Ha- is this, like, one side of the coin and then the reverse of the coin? Yes, this oh, is that's front nice. and reverse of the coin. Okay, so on the face of the coin is the profile of this guy with, like, a downturned nose and just... Slightly downturned eyes, like soulful eyes. I don't know. I like his expression. And a mustache. Mm-hmm. And it's not really a beard. I think it's part of the hat, right?
1: Yeah, it's like this cloth. It looks like it's sort of covering a beard. You can't really yeah. tell, but it's going around the I chin, will assume
0: there is a beard underneath there. But also, it is kind of a headpiece, like head covering that has a hat part on top that is a bit like horizontal shaped flat kind of like a beret but like put on top of the head and then it covers (laughs) the side of the face and goes over the chin as well so it's like a like a balaclava kind of situation
1: yes that's right
0: where like your whole face is exposed up to like below your mouth and then like your chin is covered by the cloth as well and it also covers a bit of it covers a bit of the shoulders it has like some decorations on it looks really cool and then on the Opposite side of the coin, we have a depiction of a temple, which is just a little square thing with like three sculptures on top. I don't know if it's like three columns or chairs. I can't
1: tell if they're meant to be flames or something. Um, Because it's a fire temple, so. Right, right. I
0: don't know. And there are some. Is that writing below it?
1: Yes, so there's writing around it. And you can see on the top, there's this figure which is the Farvahar, which we also see in uh, previous Achaemenid stuff, Uh where it's bestowing the right to rule, the divine right, essentially. Right. And to the right, there is this banner, which Uh is very fun, because it's basically the same Kayanid banner that you can find in the Shahnameh, which will eventually be the official royal banner of the Sassanid dynasty. Oh, interesting. It's very cool. Yeah, it has, like, two crossed arrows or something similar. Yeah, and it's meant to be purple and uh, red and gold. Oh, nice. Very cool, but...
0: Good color scheme. Yeah, and to the left of that, we see a little figure of the king, like with the same hat and a tunic. That's really cool. Yeah.
1: What is the writing? It's not cuneiform, right? No, so it's not cuneiform writing. I'm not sure if this is already Pahlavi writing. I don't know if that's already there, or if that comes like later I, on under the I Parthians. could tell it's
0: not cuneiform, because cuneiform has a very specific, like, shape to it. But it reminded me of it in that it's very simple, straight forms, or straight shapes. It's not flowy writing, it's very, like, you know, you're carving
1: this somewhere. I think this is uh, specifically made for early Persian, I'm not sure if we're, like, middle Persian yet, but... Hmm it's something separate it's not greek it's not cuneiform it's this new thing which i assume is what the parthians are going to use later on so there we go what do you think serial of this coin i am quite fond of it because of all the fancy stuff it has and yeah, also there's it's so, new there's so, so many that's references always and,
0: and the profile is also so cool i really really like it i think i'm going to give it like well, it might not be this king, and we also don't have much in the sources, so that will subtract I some mean, th- points. Is but it is of... I mean, this is Vardfridad
1: the first. Oh, it fair. is. It is of Vardfridad the first. It's unclear if he's from this time period or another time period. Well, <laughs> I've decided that he is. That's yeah. the problem, because <laughs> the name's written on. Yeah, That's yeah. That's yeah, the only yeah. information we get. And I
0: guess. I will give it an eight. I really like it. There's so many different things. Yeah. I was also going for an eight. Yes,
1: it is very strong. Congratulations, Vatfordad. You get like the best face of faces since Antiochus the Great. So with an eight and an eight, he gets a four out of five for face of faces. Yay. Next category is lengthiness. How long do you think this man reigned for? What did Brilliant. it feel like? Well, what like, how are we get?
0: counting? When are we counting from?
1: We're counting since Alexander lost the empire oh, okay. to when Mithridates comes in and replaces him with a new So
0: king. Not as long. He probably was in power before Alexander lost the empire. It looks like
1: he started his own civil war roughly when Alexander was losing it. Oh, so. okay, okay. Thereabouts. Hmm, I will say
0: seven years? Very close, eight. Oh my god, I'm getting so good at this.
1: (laughs) Very skilled. Put that on your CV. So he ruled for eight years between 146 BC and 138 BC, when Mithridates will start. So dividing by ten, that gives us a 0.8 out of five for lengthiness. Amazing. And that leads us to the final score, where we see that the I has gotten a 12.8 out of 100 points, placing him between Seleucus III and Artaxerxes IV, which feels unfair because he was a lot more active than they were, but sources aren't helping us at all here, so hmm. eh, sorry. You're probably more interesting and better, but yeah. we don't even know if you're in this time period, so it's sorry, I guess it's fair. <laughs> That's all we can do. But that leads us to the final question. which is, is he mysterious enough, unknown enough? have a nice, fancy headpiece enough to be called a Shah and Shah, or is he just a na? I mean no, we don't
0: know enough about and we kind of, I still feel like we uh, kind of picked him out of the you know many kings that are independent right now. Yeah. Just yeah. Because I, he interacted with Demetrius. Like
1: eh. Yeah. But there he are rules other Persia. people. He does that. Yeah. No one else is ruling Persia. He's ruling it. Yeah. Well, but, that's yeah. why he is in this podcast. <laughs> but that's yeah, about it. That's why he qualifies, but he doesn't qualify for the lofty company of Cyrus the Great and Darius yep. the Great. Yep. It's slightly sorry. different. I'm not so. saying he
0: did a bad job, you know, but we yeah. don't really know.
1: Yeah. So, sorry, Van Ferdad, you have to head off into the desert. You can meet Alexander Balas and tell him that at least you tried to stop the Parthians. Yeah. You failed, but you tried at least. Apparently everyone is going to fail, so, you know. So there we go. That's the end of today's episode on the very brief Frataraka dynasty. And next episode, we'll start with the Parthian Empire under Mithridates First, sometimes known as Mithridates the Great, oh. which is confusing because that makes it mean that there are two Mithridates the Greats in the same empire, which nullifies the point of a nickname. Oh. So, so there's two I'm Mithridates. I'm probably going to use it for the second. Yes, there's at least two Mithridates both of which are good. So okay, that's cool. nice. Well,
0: I am very, yeah, I'm very excited about Mithridates since, you know, they're already coming from a strong empire, which seems to be the one that is like rising up right now.
1: So yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And yeah, you've, you've been wondering what is the deal with the Parthians? Now you get to find out what are they like and how What's do they What's the deal get to with
0: power? the Parthians, everybody? <laughs> yes, that.
1: Exciting. So yeah, if you've enjoyed this episode and the previous and the future ones, who knows? Please feel free to write us a review. We enjoy it and it helps other people find the podcast. But in any case, we hope you'll join us for next episode. Mithridates the first, the first Parthian we'll cover. Hooray. And we hope you have a nice week in the meantime.
0: Yeah, take care, everybody. More to come soon. Goodbye.
1: Goodbye.